The following is a message from the pulpit of Parkside Baptist Church in Mesquite, Texas, led by Pastor Mike Wells. There, but thank you so much. You know, Brother Mason does a good job. I appreciate his wife helping him to stay straight. That is a wonderful blessing. Matthew chapter 8, verses 6 and 7, here's what it says. And, and saying, Lord, uh, my servant lieth at home, sick of a palsy, grievously tormented. And Jesus saith unto him, I will come and heal him. There is no problem with God healing anyone. And uh, I want to speak tonight on our healer. Uh, I looked up the word, of course, of, I studied there in the Philippines preparing for this message. The word healed is mentioned 79 times in our Bible. The word heal is mentioned 40 times in the Bible. The word healing mentioned 14 times in the Bible. The word healeth four times in the Bible. The word healer one time in the Bible. Uh, Jesus is the one that provides the healing. By the way, Jesus can heal uh, in the same day. Jesus can heal in the same hour. Jesus can heal in the same second. He's never late. He's always on time. Now, you may think that he's late. He's never late. He is always on time. Uh, Matthew chapter 8, verse 13, the Bible says, And Jesus said unto the centurion, Go thy way. And as thou hast believed, it shall be done unto thee. And his servant was healed in the selfsame hour. Uh, why? Because Jesus said he would be. Uh, you'd be amazed if you let God have his will and his way in your life, how God can do a marvelous work in your life. So let's talk about our healer tonight and notice some uh, times in the Bible where healing took place. Statement number one, there's the healing of the backslider, the healing of or for the backslider. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 3 and verse 22, the Bible says, Return ye backsliding children, and I will heal your backsliding. Behold, we come unto thee, for thou art the Lord our God. All right, so for the backslider, oh, what's a backslider? Well, a backslider is somebody that knows to do right and chooses to do wrong. Uh, that's in essence what a backslider is. Uh, he that knoweth to do good and doeth it not to him it is, talk to me, to him it is sin. All right, uh, that is the definition of a backslider. Uh, somebody that knows they should be obeying God, but they choose not to. That's a backslider. Somebody that used to be close to God, uh, Harry S. Ironside put it this way, if you were closer to God yesterday than you are today, you're a backslider, all right? And, and so uh, God says that he will heal the backslider. Hosea chapter 14 and verse 4, the Bible says this, he says, I will heal their backsliding, I will love them freely. It says, for mine anger is turned away from them. So God says, okay, wait a minute, I'm not going to give judgment why? Because I will heal their backsliding. The old Indian chief uh, gathered uh, for the tribal warrior's time, and they came together, and uh, they would decide by whose dog would win, whose part of the tribe would go forward to fight first. And so he had two dogs. He was very masterful about it. Uh, those that were under his command could never figure out why. Why is it that you could prophesy and tell which dog was going to win? And uh, as the chief got older and older, 
older and older, he decided to reveal his uh, secret. It wasn't that he was a great prophet. He said this. He said, this the dog I feed the night before that always wins the day after. Now, can I tell you, that's the way it is with backsliding. If you feed on the wrong stuff all the time, uh, can I tell you, you're going to develop your taste buds for it, and you're going to lose in the battle of spirituality. But if you feed on the right stuff all the time, can I tell you, you're going to win when it comes to living the victorious Christian life. So God speaks to the backslider and he says, I've got news for you. I can heal the backslider. And by the way, it's always a battle. Uh, don't think that uh, you're sitting there and say, well, I've never had trouble with it. If you're alive and breathing, you have trouble with backsliding. Uh, you know, well, I've got a big 10-pound Bible. That's good. It helps your muscles to be able to carry it, but it doesn't help your spirituality unless you let the Bible work through you. Uh, Galatians chapter 5 and verse 17, the Bible says, For uh, the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit lusteth against the flesh. And these are contrary one to the other, uh, so that you cannot do the things that you would. And so the flesh is always going to be giving us trouble. The flesh is always going to try, if you will please, to suppress spirituality. Uh, I don't know of too many people that wake up in the morning, swing in on their spiritual chandelier, singing Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I, I don't know of too many people that do that. I don't know of too many people that walk up and down the hallway always smiling. I don't know of too many people that do that. I don't know of anybody that doesn't have a burden from time to time. I don't know of a person that has not experienced at one time or another or many times in their life that which is backsliding. Uh, and so God says when it comes time to uh, be able to be healed from that backsliding, he's the one that can do that. So there's healing for the backslider. And by the way, uh, a person that wants to get right with God can get right with God. But you have to have the want to. Uh, you know, I, I think that preaching to you is just as easy as pie. I, I really do. Uh, most preachers that grace this pulpit say the, the spirit and the attitude of uh, the church here at Parkside Baptist Church is wonderful beyond compare. Now, they ought to know because they travel the nation. But can I tell you, if, uh, if this person gets backslidden and this person gets backslidden and this person gets backslidden and this person gets backslidden, all of a sudden we get a backslidden church, they're not going to be saying that. Uh, yeah, I have preached in churches where people are hard, stiff-necked, if you will. I've preached in churches where it takes almost three days to raise the dead before God can move in and actually begin to do something. Now, can I tell you, uh, the best thing that you can do is to run to the healer when you find yourself in a backslidden state. Well, oh preacher, how can I tell if I'm in a backslidden state? Well, I'm glad you asked. Uh, when you're not reading your Bible, when you're not praying, when you're not enjoying fellowship with other believers, when you could care less about the loss, you don't care if anybody gets saved, uh, when uh, Bible preaching bothers you more than you let it help you, when uh, godly singing does not excite you, but rather you're kind of sitting there wishing that the person that was singing, though they're doing a great job, would hurry up and end when you don't want to participate in an altar call, 
when you don't want to listen to Bible instruction or Bible preaching, can I tell you, uh, you're probably in the area of becoming, if not already there, being a backslidden person. By the way, backslidden people like to backbite the backs of other people. Backslidden people are easy to become backbiters. They're the critics in the church. You could do nothing right because they see everything wrong. Uh, if, if you try to do something, they could always do it better. Uh, you know, that's a person's full of pride. They're always going around, you know, wow, look at me. Look at the cake that I baked, even though it's only half-baked. Oh, boy, the way, that'd be a good message, wouldn't it? Half-baked Christianity. But can I tell you tonight, I'm saying God provides healing for the backslider. Statement number two, uh, God provides healing for the sick. Look back, if you will. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 8, I love this, chapter 8, verse 6 and 7, the Bible says, again, reading it uh, for emphasis sake, he says this, and saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home sick of the palsy. The Bible says, grievously tormented. And Jesus saith unto him, uh, I will come and heal him. What no big deal. I'll come and take care of it. So what does Jesus do? Uh, Jesus is the one that can provide sick. For, uh, to provide healing for the sick people. Uh, John chapter 4 and in verse 47, the Bible says, and he heard that Jesus was come, it says, of uh, Judea uh, into Galilee. And he went on to him and he besought him that he would come and heal his son uh, for he was at the point of death. You know, uh, when you get around somebody that's a healer, you want everybody else to get healed too. You don't want to selfishly say, that's why I don't understand for the life of me, people that say that they're saved, but they never talk to anybody about being saved. You know, I think if you're saved, you want other people to be saved. You don't want anybody to die and burn in hell. Why in the world would you wish that on your worst enemy? Much less somebody you cared about. And so here's what we see. Uh, Jesus is the one that provides healing for the backslider. He also provides that which is healing for the sick. Uh, there was a fellow by the name of George Mensick. George Mensick. Uh, George Mensick was a member of Al Capone's gang in Chicago. Uh, he was a murderer. He was a drunk. He was a drug addict. And uh, one day his wife got him very mad, just mad beyond compare. And so as he's uh, with the gang members and they just killed some people, he decided that night killing is in my way and I'm going to go home and I'm going to kill my wife. I mean, I'm just fed up with her. I'm just going to kill her. And so he came in the house that night, as history records, and he took the butt of his uh, handgun, and he thought, first, I'll knock her out. That way, when I shoot her, uh, she won't feel it. I'll have compassion. And so according to what I read, he came in, and he took the butt of that, which is the handgun. He walked in, and as soon as he saw her, he hit her on the head, knocked her out. She fell against the wall, and he thought, well, she's out cold. I'll go in and kill my daughter next. And then I'll come back to shoot her just to make sure she's dead, dead. Now, this is according to the history that was written. He went into the room, and as he entered into the room, his 12-year-old little girl was kneeling down in the middle of the floor, bawling her eyes out, saying, Save Daddy. Please save Daddy. God, please save Daddy. I don't want Daddy. She's praying out loud, and she was crying. Uh, she didn't know what had happened in the other room, apparently, because she wasn't praying, God, please save my life. She was not praying, God, please save Mama's life. 
She was praying over and over loud, uh, God, please save daddy, please save daddy, please save daddy, don't let daddy die, please save daddy. Lord, please save my daddy. Lord Jesus, please save my daddy. When, uh, when George entered into the room and he saw his daughter on her knees and she was crying out, he watched her there for a while and all of a sudden God began to grip his heart. He knelt down beside his daughter and his daughter had the privilege of leading daddy to Christ. Daddy bowed his heart and daddy received Christ as Savior. By the way, later on, George Mensick decided he was going to go to visit all those in the American prisons. He went into the American prisons and God used him to be able to preach to those, especially those on death row. And many people came to know Christ as their Savior. Now, can I say this? Can I say that God can save the sick? God can heal the sick. Might be those that are mentally sick. Might be those uh, over in the Philippines. If you ever come uh, with us, you'll see that there's a lot of people on the streets and they're beggars. And I'm telling you, these people live on the streets and they look like mangy dogs. I mean, you can tell they've lived on the street for a long time. They've got teeth that are rotten out. Their minds are wasted. Uh, they walk up and down the streets and they're talking to themselves and they're yelling out loud and they're cursing God and they're taking their fist and they're pointing it towards heaven and they want nothing to do with God. Uh, what is that? That's a sick mind. That's a sick mind. Uh, can I tell you, all of a sudden, when uh, you're tempted to do that which is wrong, it might be that you need God to heal your mind. God's a great healer. Uh, and there's no reason for you to be brutal to your wife or brutal to your uh, husband or brutal to your children. There's no reason under heaven why you ought to be brutal to somebody else that's in the church. Uh, uh, it might be that God needs to reach down and God needs to work on you and maybe you need to come to God and say, God, uh, I am sick. Uh, uh, it might be that you're physically sick. It might be that you're emotionally sick. It might be that you're uh, financially sick. It might be that your marriage is sick. It might be that you have a sickness in your family. But you know, God is the great healer. Uh, Jesus Christ is the great physician. And can I tell you this? He will anybody that will actually come to him and ask him for the healing statement number one I said healing of the backslider statement number two healing of the sick statement number three healing of the wounded healing of the wounded Jeremiah chapter 30 verse 17 the Bible says I will restore health unto thee I will heal thee of thy wounds so he is the healer of the wounded you know uh, when you study Job you see that Job uh, uh, had many questions but as you study Job you'll see that Job uh, he never quit he never cursed God. He never compromised. But he had many questions, and most of his questions were uh, dealing with asking God simply this, why? Most of his questions was that way. Uh, by the way, there's nothing wrong with asking God why Jesus did that. Don't you forget, Jesus said, why hast thou forsaken me? When he was on the cross, he was asking his own father, why? All right, so there's nothing wrong with asking God why. Just don't expect him to give you the answer. Don't, don't make God, if you will, uh, be somebody that bows down to you. If God wants you to have the answer, he'll give you the answer. But you better be satisfied if God never wants to give you the answer, then you be satisfied that God doesn't want to give you the answer. Uh, God is God. God uh, don't get mad at me, but God's not your pet. And God is not under your control. 
And you have to realize that you need to come to him and you come to him uh, asking him, if you will, questions. But uh, uh, if you don't deserve an answer, God's not going to beckon to your questioning. You say, well, I've gone through a rough time and I think God ought to tell me why. God may never tell you why. It might be that you go through a rough time to get close to Jesus, but you may never find out why. Uh, let me tell you this. Here, Job comes to God, and he has question after question after question. And then uh, God says to, to Job, uh, where were you? Where were you? Job chapter 38, verse 4. Where were you when I created the earth? Job chapter 38, verse 5. He says, where were you when I decided how big the earth would be? Job chapter 38 and verse 6, he asked Job a question. He said, uh, where, where were you when I decided to hang uh, the heavens? Uh, Job 38 and verse 7, where were you when I created the stars? Job 38 and verse 8, where were you when I created the boundaries of the sea? Job 38 and verse 9, where were you when I created the clouds? 38 and verse 12, where were you when I created the morning? 38 and verse 16, where were you when I created the currents of the sea? 38 and verse uh, uh, 19, all in Job. Where were you when I created light? 38 and verse 22, where were you when I created the snowflakes? Uh, that's not those in Washington, that's the snowflakes that come from the sky. 38 and verse 25, where were you when I created the lightning and the thunder? Uh, 38 and verse 26, where were you when I created the rain? 38 and verse 27, the plants. Uh, 38 and verse 28, the dew. Uh, 38 and verse 29, the ice and the frost. 38 verses uh, 31 through 32, the consolations. Uh, 38 through uh, 38 verse 29, the animals. 38 and verse 41, the birds. Uh, 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 39 and verses 1 through 2, uh, the timing of the animals, if you would. Uh, uh, 39 in verse 8, uh, that which is the mountain ranges, uh, the beautiful peacocks in 39 in verse 13, the horse in 39 in verse 18, the birds of the prey, 39, uh, 39 in verse 15, the elephant, uh, uh, that which is uh, 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 other animals, that you'll see that God had used him to be able to create. Now, wait a minute. He's saying this. He's saying, Job, uh, you're asking me why, but let me ask you, where were you when I did this? And where were you when I did this? And where were you when I... See, you, you can't question God's goodness. Amen. When you're going through a rough time in your life, and it just seems like you're tore apart on the inside, there's nothing wrong with asking him why. But don't you ever question him that if he's right. Because God is always right. Amen. And it doesn't matter uh, how you feel about it. Uh, by the way, you can't live by your feelings. One day you wake up singing, uh, I'm feeling fine. And the next day you cannot be found. One day you're excited about living for God. The next day you're not excited about living for anybody. You cannot question God. God is important, and God can help you through every problem that you've got in life, and he is the great healer, and he can heal. And by the way, when nobody understands you and everybody walks out, that's when God understands you, and that's when he walks in. God is the great healer. He's the healer of the backslider, the healer of the sick. He's the healer of the wounded. You know, a very important truth to be able to understand that uh, Job, he never seemed to cease in asking why, but he always understood uh, God is a great creator. Why? Because God reminded him. And if you'll let God remind you, you'll find out that you'll be able to make it through even the times of significant hurts. Have you ever done this? I've done this. 
Have you ever walked out in a certain place and you wept and said, God, if you don't come through, I feel like I just might be through? Now notice the terminology, I feel like. It's always during those times when we question God when we feel like. You, you ever notice this? You never question God when you're on the mountain. Because it's good. But you question God when you're in the valley. Why? Because that's the most challenging time. When somebody slights you, does you wrong, hurts you, uh, makes you feel like you're not important, then all of a sudden, and by the way, you can always tell when somebody starts to question God because they begin to devalue other people. And then they begin to devalue themselves. You know, well, I just guess I'm not important. Well, who told you that? God didn't tell you that. Matter of fact, God loves you so much, he's counted every hair on your head. Whether you've got lice or not, he counts every hair on your head. Can I tell you that to God, you are important. Uh, some, some men, you know, they have trouble trying to express how important their wives are. And sometimes it's difficult because of their upbringing and things of that nature. But can I tell you, when you get close to God, God will help you to be able to love other people. You say, I can't do that, preacher. Why don't you let God love others through you? Uh, somebody came to me uh, and said, preacher, I'm having trouble with this forgiveness thing. I'm having trouble with this forgiveness thing. I said, well, has God ever forgiven you? Well, yes, God's forgiven me. Why is it that you can accept the forgiveness of God in your life, but you can't accept the forgiveness of God through you to somebody else's life? See, what you can do is you can say, God, I'm having a hard time with this forgiveness thing, but will you forgive them, watch it now, through me? See, when you do something like that, God can really help you. Yeah. Sometimes you can take and put pressure, if you will, in a hose. It's kind of stopped up. So you get some water pressure, and you use some type of machine, and you click it on. When you click it on, that water begins to surge through that, that pipe, that hose that's all stopped up. You know what happens? It cleans it out. And sometimes I believe we as Christians need God to clean us out. Because if we let God clean us out, you'd be amazed at how much freedom you have in your life to be able to love others and help others. Statement number one, uh, healing for the backslider. Statement number two, healing for the sick. Statement number three, healing uh, for the wounded. Uh, statement number four, healing for the brokenhearted. It's amazing. Uh, over in the Isaiah chapter 61, Billy Sunday would always open to this text in verse 1, and he'd read it right before he'd preach. The Bible says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And by the way, the Spirit of the Lord ought to rest upon you. The Bible says the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. Uh, he hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty unto the captives. And it says in the opening of the prison to them that are bound. A similar verse is found uh, in the same similar context over in Luke chapter 4 and in verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance unto the captivities, unto the captives. And it says, and, uh, recovering, it says, of the sight of the blind, and have set them at 
uh, it says, set them that are bruised. All right, so wait a minute. So he sets at liberty them that are bruised. No, it's just like in Isaiah. What's he saying? He's saying, look, I just want you to know I'm here for the brokenhearted. I'm able to help those that are bound. I'm able to help those that don't have a solution. I'm here for the brokenhearted. Uh, you've heard the story, no doubt, as I've shared about my brother. When my brother died at age 57, can I tell you I was one brokenhearted guy? Because I felt like Dave and I were never close, though I tried. I was brokenhearted. Uh, you know what God does? God heals the brokenhearted. Now, sometimes it takes time. Lose a boyfriend, lose a girlfriend, lose a mom, lose a dad, lose a job that's precious to you, lose a vehicle. Sometimes it takes time. But God is masterful in healing the brokenhearted. How does he do that? Well, he gets in the middle. There's a song we used to sing at Smite years ago. I love that man in the middle. Jesus always finds himself in the middle of the brokenhearted. He finds himself in the middle of the trials. In the middle of the fire, he was there waiting for the Hebrew boys uh, to show up. He was already there waiting for them. Uh, in, in the midst of the 24 elders, you'll see in Revelation chapter 4 and 5, he's in the midst of them. You'll find that Jesus is in the midst, if you would please, of the disciples on the Mount of Transfiguration. He's in the midst of them. You'll find Jesus is in the midst of the two thieves there on the cross. Revelation chapter 1 says he's in the midst of the churches. Oh, listen to it. It's a theme throughout the Bible how Jesus is right in the middle. He's in the middle. And by the way, he wants to be in the middle of your life. But here's what it says. Uh, uh, and let me give you the themes of it, if I may. In Genesis, you see that uh, he's in the midst, if you will. Uh, the promised seed of the woman and the ark. You'll see in Exodus, it's the lamb that was slain, the blood that was on the doorpost. What is that? He's in the midst of it. The trials, the problems. Uh, Leviticus, he's the supreme sacrifice. He's in the midst of it. Numbers, he's the guide through the wilderness uh, wanderings. He's in the midst of it. They didn't wander by themselves. In Deuteronomy, you'll see he's the guide to the victorious Christian life. He's in the midst of it. Uh, in Joshua, he's the captain who fights our battles. He's in the midst of it. In Judges, he's the true judge. In Ruth, he's the kinsman redeemer in the midst of it. Over in 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel, he's the kingmaker. Over in 1 Kings and 2 Kings, he is actually the king. In 1 Chronicles and 2 Chronicles, he's in the glory of the temple, all in the midst of it. See, Jesus Christ is in the midst of every single problem, every single opportunity. He's right there, but we've got to realize he's there for us. You can't look at it and say, preacher, I'm going through this all by myself. No, he's right there for us. In Esther, he's the unseen God. In Numbers, he's the guide through the wilderness. In Deuteronomy, if you will, uh, uh, he is uh, that which is the guide to that Christian life, as I said. In Joshua, he is that fighter. In Judges, he is that true judge. Uh, in Samuel, as I said, First and Second Samuel, uh, you'll see that he is the maker of the king. Then you see he is the king. Then you see he's the glory and that which is the temple in first and second chronicles now you're moving on to uh ezra you'll get to see all through the bible that he's in the midst uh, he's the ready scribe and nehemiah he's the builder in esther he's the unseen god in job he's the comforter of the sufferings in psalms he's the song in proverbs the wisdom in ecclesiastes he's the one that gives meaning to life song of solomon he's the lover of the soul isaiah he's the sacrifice jeremiah he's the 
prophet, Lamentations, he's the one that weeps for us. Ezekiel, he's the one uh, seeing all. And Daniel, the ancient days is he. Hosea, the faithful husband. Joel, he's the one that pours out his spirit. Amos, he's the one, if you will, that urges the common man to be used. And you go all the way through, even the New Testament, he's in the midst. He is in the midst. You cannot be able to deny that he's in the midst of every single thing that takes place. And can I tell you tonight, he's in the midst of your problems. He's in the midst of your worries. He's in the midst of your tribulations. He's in the midst of your temptations. He's in the midst of everything that goes wrong in your life. He is there for you. That's exactly what God does. I'm saying this tonight. I'm saying that as you study the Bible, you'll see this. It's almost like that iceberg. They say the iceberg is 90% under the water, only 10% above the water. You'll only see the 10%, but the 90% controls the 10%. That's the way we ought to be as Christians that are deep. And that is, thank you. That's the way we ought to be as Christians that are deep. We walk with God in a deep fashion. And as we walk with God in a deep fashion, we begin to see this, that there might not be much of us on top, but deep down inside, there's a walk with God that would change our life forever. Is he in your midst? Is he the one that you can turn to? Oh, may I tell you, there's been many times where I'll take and I'll say, now you're God. Uh, you uh, need to work in this person's life. Uh, they're ruining their lives, Father. Now, by the way, I say this often. God, they're not my child. That's your kid. That's your child. There's been many times I deliver a child of God back home to the Father and say, now, God, you've got to work in their life. You've got to change their life. Because if you don't come through, they're destined. Would you show up in the midst? Oh, there's been times, even in praying uh, for my own blood kin, I said, God, whatever it takes, whatever it takes. If you got to break them, break them. If you got to break them hard, break them hard. But God, you got to work in their life because only you can change that person. You, you realize this, <clears throat> that a preacher can only do so much. You realize that? Preacher can get up, preacher can preach, preacher can pound the pulpit. He can shout, he can spit, he can run up and down the aisle. But I realize this, that the work of the Lord, meaning you, has to be delivered unto God because only God can change you. I've seen people I've had great confidence in. I thought, man, they're going to do something for God. I look at them years to come later, and you can't even find them being faithful to a local church. How disappointing. Then I've looked it up. I wonder if they're going to turn out right. They have trouble with this and trouble with that. They're tempted about this and they're tempted about that. And before you know it, all of a sudden, God begins to work in their life and they're a different person. You know what that is? That's God. That's God. As a, as a preacher of the Bible, uh, I'm supposed to get up and preach it, uh, but I can't make you live it. Can't make you live it. I remember uh, uh, there's a fellow by the name of... Uh, Billy Kelly, Billy Kelly, he, he a big fella, just a big fella, and uh, just a big fella. And he would sit down and preach. And somebody said to him, uh, uh, Billy Kelly, why don't you get up and preach? He said, I can't get up. He said, I've had trouble for years. And he said, I've just grown to be this size and I can't get up. 
He said, but uh, people don't come to hear Billy Kelly. He said, they come to hear God. And they don't care if God is sitting down or if God is standing up. As long as I'm his voice, uh, I don't have a choice but to just to sit. He had an old rocking chair. And he'd sit in that rocking chair. And he'd rock and he'd preach. As he'd sit in a rocking chair and preach. You say, how'd people respond to that? Well, they weren't coming to hear the voice of Kelly. They were coming to get something from God. By the way, that's back when men of God walked with God. That's back when men of God didn't feel like that they had to give five funny stories and a punchline in order to keep somebody's attention. That's back when kids walked with God and they came to church because they wanted to hear something from God and they wanted God, 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 God to work in their life. Now, can I tell you, he's in the midst. No matter what you go through, no matter what trials you go through. Uh, Brother Bachman and I, we uh, left the Philippines on Thursday, 9 a.m. We left our hotel, 9 a.m. Thursday. We arrived back here, oh, I don't know, it was about 6.30 or 7 o'clock on Saturday. I mean, uh, but wait a minute. I, I think he felt the same way I did. There's not a thing you can do about it. You just rest in God. As we're flying into Hong Kong, all of a sudden, a storm. By the way, who's in control of the storm? God. That plane began to rock. I mean, it began to, uh, you know, it, it'd go through these dips and stuff like that. And you'd hear people go, <laughs> and I'm thinking, dear Lord, help them not to throw their food up on me. <laughs> you know, and then they would say words that were not kind words. And I'm thinking, well, that's not helping the situation because if God's going to judge you, I got to go through it too. <laughs> so we arrived late uh, into Hong Kong. And then our, our plane got delayed because the weather was still bad. Finally, it broke, and they got us on the plane. We thought this is good. And then all of a sudden, the hit again. And they said, sorry, folk, we can't let you off the plane. We got about a two-and-a-half-hour wait. Just enjoy your wait while you sit here on the plane. Yeah, I know. People are doing that on the plane, too. Ooh, I mean, you heard all this stuff, and you weren't even on the plane. So we're sitting there for two-and-a-half hours. I'm thinking, man, we got to make L.A. because we got a board, you know, but it's not going to work. We knew that it was just, it was toast. I mean, we're, we're, it wasn't going to work. And so uh, we finally got off, and we started making some progress over and, and finally got to L.A. and got there late. We had to uh, uh, get the other flight that Cafe or, or Ditton, uh, one of them, I don't know if it's Cafe or Ditton that did it, but somebody booked us a, a good next flight or whatever, and, and so thank you, Cafe, and you too. And, uh, but, uh, you, you know, can I tell you, uh, and then we flew out late. There's nothing you can do about stuff like that. What do you do? Then I go to the house, and I realize I don't have my key to get in. And so I, I called my wife, and I said, honey, oh, where's the key? And, and uh, she said, well, it, it's a green key. And I said, well, I don't see no green keys anywhere. And, and I, so I got into the garage, but I couldn't get into the door. And all of our children have keys to the house because we tell them it's our house, but it's your house too. And so you can come over anytime you want. Just leave us some food. And so they all have keys to the house. And so I started calling the boys, you know, and saying, you got a key of the house that's available? Finally, I got a hold of Josh, and he said, well, I got a key, but it's someplace else. He said, I have to go over and get it. And it was in his office. And so he drove from his house to his office. And I thought, man, I'm, I'm going to Chick-fil-A. <laughs> you just forget about this. 
I, I'm going to go treat me to breakfast. So I went to Chick-fil-A, came back, and I said, Josh, why don't you bring it out to the house? I'll be sitting in the driveway waiting for you. So I was sitting in the driveway drinking my coffee, and I, the whole time I'm thinking, boy, God is so good. Man, life is so good. Woo! I get to have a cup of coffee. I mean, I, I get to eat a Chick-fil-A breakfast. Boy, God is just so good. Well, I could have got mad at God. I could have threw a fit. I could have went up and kicked the garage door, put a dent in it, and have to pay to fix it later. You know, I, I could have went up and tried to break in the door and, and, and break down the, I could have used a sledgehammer. I could have got in. I know I could have got in. I, I could have went over and busted a piece of glass, but all that would cost money. I'd rather just enjoy Chick-fil-A. So what do you do? You're in the midst of it. Here's where most relationships and marriages go wrong. When you get in the midst of it, you look for the easiest, quickest way out. Well, you know, our marriage is not great, so I think I'm going to end it today. Oh, yeah, that's real good. You know, what about till death do you part? What about for better, for worse? What about your children? What about their children? They're going to have, they're going to be your grandchildren. Come on. And, you know, it seems to me, and I see it over in the Philippines a lot, you see these old men marrying these young girls. And I'm, it bothers me. Man, it bothers me. I mean, it just kind of, I, I want to run them over or something, you know? But it just bothers me. Because they couldn't make it in their own marriage. So now they're going to leave their wife that no doubt they were married to for years. You know, I, I'm glad Sylvia's sticking with me. I'm glad we're going to grow old together. I like that idea. She gets false teeth. I'll help her brush them. She gets old, you know, and has to be in a wheelchair. Man, I'm in for the push. I'll push her a while, and then I'll say, look, it's your turn to get out. Let me get in. She can push me a while. Now, I'm in it for the long haul. You say, well, she's getting old. I look in the mirror, and I don't see anybody there that's not old. Hello? My mother used to call them glad lines. She never called them wrinkles. She called them glad lines. You say, why? I have no idea. But I look in the mirror and I got wrinkles. You, you, come on. Now, but I love my wife. I, I'm not going to go chase some other woman. Why would I want to? Till death do we part. By the way, listen, for you married people, you still kiss her when she's old. You still hold her hand. Because you're old too. Brother Hatch, I, I, I'll shut up, but I'm having fun right now. But, br Brother Hatch, you know, when he got older, you know, he and Ruby traveled and he, they'd meet us at places, you know. And Brother Hatch had these wrinkled hands. And it got worse as he got older, just wrinkled hands. You know, and he tried to be a soul winner, and he tried to be nice, you know. He just tried to be nice everywhere we went. Had that four-pronged little cane, you know, and he never weighed much. He's always been just a drink of water, but he was always a bent-over drink of water.
because as he got old, his body started to go that way. I don't know why that happens, but anyway, it just started to go that way. And so he would walk sort of like this, you know, like an old man. Well, he was. And so he'd walk like this. But he, he always tried to be kind to people. I remember one time we were at the hotel together, and Ruby was upstairs, and me and Brother Hatch downstairs, and he said, I'm going to go get that woman in church. I said, good. So he went over, and he patted her on the hand, old, wrinkled hand, all bent over. Girl was probably, I don't know, in her 30s or whatever. And so here comes this man, 102, and, uh, and he's coming over. He pats her on the hand, and he says, honey, how are you? Honey, how are you? And she, she didn't know how to respond to that, so she said, I'm good. He said, that's good, honey. He called women honey. Honey, how are you? Honey, I'm so glad. Honey, what time do you get off? And I'm standing back there, and I'm thinking, I don't know what he's thinking, but I'm pretty sure I know what she's thinking. Honey, how are you? Honey, how are you? What time you get off? What time you get off? And she said, well, I think I've got to work all night. And I thought, that's a good answer. <laughs> and he said, I'd like for you to come with me. We, we'll go place tonight to make you happy. And I'm thinking, change the subject. <laughs> he says, I'm preaching at church. I thought it's getting better now. He said, I'm preaching at church tonight, honey. I'd like for you to come hear me preach. Would you come? And I'm thinking, I'm glad he put church or God in there somewhere. <laughs> and she said, so you're a preacher? He said, what did you think I was? I was hoping she wouldn't answer that one. <laughs> and all of a sudden now, you know, she, she loosened up a little bit. And his wife came down. And he introduced, him, uh, introduced her to her. And, uh, and, and, and it turned out all right. I mean, it turned, she didn't come to church. Uh, but, uh, but can I tell you this? Listen, uh, I'm saying this. I'm saying when you go through the valleys, you can still be used of God to help people. You really can. I, I, I quit. One more. Let me give you one more. I visit in the hospital, and uh, many times I, I have the privilege to be a part of people's lives. Like I was, in, I was over in the Philippines, and Saint uh, contacted me. Of course, Saint's our missionary to Thailand, and had the privilege to lead Saint to Christ. And Saint came to our church sometime, and, and then uh, went off to Bible college uh, somewhere else. And, and uh, but I had the privilege to be a part of Saint's life. Saint's a good soul winner. And uh, and Saint called me up. He said, uh, uh, "Joy and I would like for you to dedicate our baby. Could you ask uh, Doc if it would be all right?" I said, "Well, it'd probably be better if you ask Doc, the pastor of the church, called Doc." And so I said, it'd "Probably be better if you ask Doc because it's his program." And, we're having trouble communicating back and forth through email, and you're asking me now and whatnot. So he said, okay, I will. So he asked Doc if I could dedicate the baby. And so he brought little Isaiah down with he and Joy, and I dedicated her baby on a Sunday morning. And what a joy it was to be able to do that. Uh, can I tell you, uh, you'll be amazed at how you can encourage people, but people can encourage you. I've been in many hospitals overseas where people have heard me preach and here and around when I go to preach in a church somewhere and they'll say, so-and-so used to hear you preach all the time and they're in a the hospital and they've requested, will you come and will you have prayer with them? And I'll say, okay, I'll be glad to come. And so I'll go to the hospital and have prayer with them and try to encourage their heart. And can I tell you, uh, the, when you're in the midst of something, uh, you ought to be the one that's doing the encouragement. Uh, even though you're in the midst of something, 
You be the one that does the encouraging. I was, uh, I was preaching up in North Carolina, had the kidney stones, you know, I had them four times or five times, they're never fun. And, uh, and I had kidney stones, and oh, it was just so bad. And, but I wanted to preach, and I wanted to help people. And can I tell you, sometimes you just have to ignore if you don't feel good and just help people and love people. And that's exactly what God wants you to do in the midst of your trials, in the midst of your problems. Put a smile on and help somebody. You don't have to always mention your problems. Most people aren't interested in your problems anyway. Most people are only interested in their problems. So what do you do? Uh, you be that one that runs to the healer and say, God, would you heal me? Would you help me with this? And let God be the one that works in your life for his glory so he can help somebody else through you. Father, bless, I pray. Thank you for joining us today. For more audio or video content, you can visit our website at parksidebaptist.org.